Hi, I'm Michelle Adams, and welcome back to the Beyond Words podcast. This is the place where we sit down with the writers of your favourite books and talk to them about the inspiration behind the stories that they write. In each episode of this podcast, you'll get the chance to meet the author behind one of my favourite books and be introduced to a novel that I have personally loved and which I think and hope you'll love too. Beyond Words is where the story continues once the final page has been turned. everybody. Welcome back to the Beyond Words podcast. It's my absolute pleasure this week to bring you another episode, another conversation with uh, a marvellous author. This week's book is a young adult fiction novel, which I was fortunate enough to read, I think, late last year when I received um, an advanced reader copy. I didn't really know what this book was about when I received it, um, but I was very quickly moved by um, the letter that accompanied the book and uh, I read it I think in one or two sittings. It's a book that is not an easy read, it covers some difficult subjects especially for a young adult novel but it's handled so sensitively um, and so genuinely that it's an absolute pleasure to bring this novel um, to the podcast this week. So Today we're going to be talking about And the Stars Were Burning Brightly by Danielle Jawando. Um, such an interesting conversation. She's got so many things um, to say about her inspiration behind this book, how she tackled some of the difficult issues um, and about her writing life in general as a northerner, um, seemingly outside of what we consider to be the publishing world. I thoroughly enjoyed sitting down with Danielle this week and I really hope that you enjoy this conversation too. Danielle, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's so great to see you and so great to have a chance to chat about your book and the stars were burning brightly. Um, I read it earlier on this year and it's such a lovely, special and important book and having the chance to have you here and talk to it, talk to us about it is it just means a lot. So thanks so much for your time for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's just I'm really happy to be here. So thank you. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Um, well, listen, let's start by having you tell us a little bit about your book. Yeah, sure. Tell so, us what it's about. Yeah, definitely. So um and the Stars Were Burning Brightly is about um, 15-year-old Nathan. So he comes home one day. It's set in Manchester. It's a YA novel. And Nathan comes home one day and he finds out that his older brother, Al, who is kind of like the, the golden boy of the family, he had all these dreams. He's a talented artist. Um, he was going to go off to go to university. Um, and he comes back and he finds that Al has taken his own life. And this really kind of shocks Nate and the family because they don't expect it. It comes out of the blue. Um, and he can't understand why his brother, who had so much to live for, would do something like that. So then Nate kind of goes on a quest to try and find answers, I guess, as to why Al would do something, um, you know, like kill himself. And he, he doesn't leave a note, but Al leaves a drawing behind. Um, that has the word help me on it and Nate is convinced that something else was going on you know there was there was something else beneath the surface that he didn't quite know about so he sets out on this quest and on the way he kind of meets Megan who is Al's classmate and they both kind of connect so it's kind of a story about grief 
and suicide and and kind of what it's like growing up in in the social media era um it's a really powerful book i said earlier on that it's really special and i genuinely mean that um there are some really like difficult themes and topics that i'd like to sort of unpack and discuss but i think what would be really nice is if it's okay with you is just to start with a reading so we can get a feel for what it's like um so yeah so the bit i'll read is just going to be uh, a bit from the beginning and we're just kind of five days so as the book opens we're kind of about five days into owl's owl's death so it's still pretty raw for the family and nate has a younger sister called phoebe okay the floorboards outside my room creak i watch as my bedroom door begins to open and the light from the landing floods in, making me cover my eyes. And for a moment, he's there, Al, standing in the doorway, his afro blocking out most of the light, his body leaning to one side, his dark shadow stretched. He shakes his head slowly, like he can't believe what a fool I've been. And I think I hear him say, got you, like this is all a joke one of the stupid tricks that he'd play when he was messing around. Al, I whisper, and my throat tightens. Al, but all I can see is a shadow. It's just me, a small voice says, Phoebe. The door opens wider and I suddenly feel stupid. Phoebe moves towards me, a bright yellow dressing gown wrapped around her, the end of a long plait slowly unravelling. She's clutching this old teddy, this thing that looks like a rabid cat shoved into a small doll's dress. Al bought it for her one Christmas ages ago. I hadn't seen it for years, but the night it happened, she came into my room with it. She didn't speak, she just lay there, curled up on her side with a teddy pressed to her chest. I can't sleep, she says. I can hear mum crying again. I move over and peel the covers back. I don't mind Phoebe coming into my room because at least then I'm doing something for her. At least then there's something I can try to fix. Phoebe climbs in next to me and she goes quiet. Even though she doesn't say anything, I can tell that she's thinking. Nate, she says, where do we go when we die? I shrug. Heaven, I say. I know that, but how do you get there? Do you just wake up and you're there? Or does an angel come and take you away? Or do you just die and then? She pauses and I think of Al for a minute, drifting upwards. So awkward and lanky that if you do float up to heaven, he'll probably get caught in something on the way up, tangled around an electricity wire, like the old socks or school shoes that people throw up there. The thought makes me smile for a minute, numbing all those bits inside me, but it soon stops. Do you think it hurts? Phoebe asks. Dying. Do you think it hurt out? She pauses. Was he in pain? I look up at the plastic glow-in-the-dark stars on my ceiling. Al got them from one of those crappy pound shops the day Dad left. He'd stuck them down, taking ages to get them in the right places. He'd said that when he didn't understand life, or if things didn't make sense, he'd just look up and somehow everything would just feel different. It would feel okay. Then he started telling me that there was no point in having stars on the ceiling if they didn't look like the real thing. And he kept going on about all these names, saying how there was some star named after this guy called Ryan and how everything was shaped like his belt. 
And when he'd finished, he just had this one thing left, a comet that he ended up sticking in the corner at the far side of my room. He said that he didn't know what to do with it, but that he could tell that he didn't want to be with the rest of the stars. I think of how Al looked when I'd found him, the bluish tint to his face, the green and black school tie knotted around his neck, his silver prefect badge glinting in the light, and the stupid faded school motto on his blazer. I could hear kids playing in the street outside, someone kicking a ball against a fence, the wheels of a bike skidding around a corner, the slapping of a skipping rope on the floor, the thud, thud, thud of music from car in the distance, the chanting of, who are you, who are you, who are you, touch me again and you're dead. I think of how me and Al had a row that morning, how he'd called me after school and I'd cut him off. Ignored his call, then turned my phone to silent. All because I wanted him to, bo to stop bothering me and piss off. All because I was having too much fun drinking and smoking in the park. All because I wanted to stay with Kyle and these two fit girls we were with. Al had always been there for me, but when he needed me the most, I'd cut him off. I feel Phoebe took up the sleeve of my t-shirt and my eyes begin to sting. Nate, do you think it hurts? She asks again. I stare at the comet separate from all the other stars. Nah, I lie. I don't think it hurts at all. Thank you so much. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I could listen to you reading that all day. Oh. It, it's so long since I've actually read the book now and listening to you read it takes me straight back to the story and how poignant it is. And even just that short passage, you just you just immediately like delivered into that that raw moment after someone's death of mm -hmm. like all the questions and all the desperation you feel and all the regrets of like if only I'd done this, if only I'd said that, if only I hadn't done that. Um and it's really, really moving to hear you, oh, you. reading that again like that. Um let's talk a little bit about the the things that happen in this novel because mm -hmm. what we're what we're obviously faced with here is the fact that Al has taken his own life. And so it's a, it's a YA novel and we're dealing with something like suicide. How did you even begin to approach that when it's such a massive subject mm. um, and you did it in such a wonderful way? So how did, how did you manage to get that into a story? I think when I started it, I was... <coughs> very aware obviously because it is YA I was very aware of, of the audience and I didn't want to write anything that could be you know triggering or that was um kind of glamorizing suicide um because I think you know there's a few programs that have addressed a similar topic and personally I think you know they've been they haven't kind of done it quite sensitively um so I think I, I really wanted to look at the, the impact that it it, it has on the family, but also as well, I think, because, you know, it's very much connected to an experience that I went through. So it's very similar to Al, I attempted suicide as well. So I think that in a way, that personal connection to the story kind of, I think, helped me approach it in a more sensitive, you know, manner. Um, and I think it wasn't kind of, like I said, glamorizing, you know, what happened. It, it, 
at times I think it's a very real and painful look at the impact of, of suicide. Um, so I think I had in the back of my mind that I wanted to just, you know, to do it in a very sensitive way. And the book has, um, it's got trigger warnings on it as well. So, you know, so I think that's, that's really helpful, especially for the, for the age, age range. Um, but yeah, so it was based on personal experience. And then I did a lot of research around, you know, suicide and the types of feelings of grief that come from suicide, because I think with suicide or kind of any kind of accident where death is quite sudden that, you know, it's, it's completely different to say an experience of grief if, maybe you were expecting it you know there's yeah. kind of different feelings and emotions that come up um so i did a lot of research around that so what it's like for families what it's like for siblings um and that you know also really really helped to to kind of i guess approach it in quite a sensitive way yeah it definitely as a reader i i did feel that it was done very sensitively and that um very genuinely and like you've just alluded to there it comes from a very personal place that you experience this this kind of difficulty in your own life and I didn't I didn't know what the book was about when I received the ARC and the first thing I did was open it up and have a look inside and I found your author's note and I didn't get through the author's note without bursting into tears because <laughs> I had no I had no idea what it was about and and I think when you know that as a reader you also appreciate that this book is coming from a very genuine, authentic place mm -hmm. and that it's not being used in a sort of just for dramatic effect or um, to be sensationalist. And so um, I think you handled those issues really, really well. Uh, and issues that are unfortunately present for a lot of kids who are that age. You've talked a little bit about the fact that this was your, based on sort of your own experiences, but what was it that made you want to put that into a book? The reason that I tried to take my own life was um, because of the fact I'd been bullied for, you know, an extended period of time. And I know that it is when, as well, I was kind of doing research for the book and I was kind of looking at because I was at school a very long time ago. So, you know, and I was looking at the way that young people are bullied now and it is still such a common, so common and, you know, suicide because of a result of bullying is, is such a high statistic. Um, I thought that, you know, I did, that's something I, I was really certain that I wanted to address because I thought if there's a way that someone reading this book can hopefully see that, you know, I've been through it and, there, there is a way out and it is just about speaking up definitely so that was also in the back of my mind but because it's um you know Al is obviously a young man um I think spe especially male suicide I think there's still a lot of stigma surrounding kind of men talking about their feelings and opening up and accepting that you know they might be struggling with their mental health um, so I, I wanted to look at suicide as well but also from the perspective of a young boy kind of a young teenager and kind of what that means and yeah um, yeah one of the things that I loved is that you chose to set this book in Manchester which yeah. as, if I'm right it's where you're from absolutely yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um what was it about that that made you choose the location that you knew as a as a writer uh, is it is it something that you wanted to explore your own area or um what what led you to that 
I think within YA there is kind of there's hardly any northern YA so a lot of YA is often it's set in London or it's set in kind of America or kind of small towns in the south somewhere and when I started writing it I thought okay I definitely want something set in Manchester because I think all you know all stories are important and I think you know northern stories um, are important and I think it's very rare that you see kind of working class black northern characters in YA so I thought I definitely want to kind of give those characters a voice um, and then on top of that it's set in a place called Withenshaw which it's the first ever published book to be set in Withenshaw like ever like no one's ever set anything here before. That's amazing. Which is great but it's also like you know it's it's crazy when you think about yeah. it all yeah. the areas need stories that need to be told so I thought yeah. I really wanted to set something in Withenshaw and I think also exploring as well what it means to be from an area that people have certain perceptions of you know so Nate yeah. and Al often talk about people not expecting much of them because they're from Withenshaw and I kind of wanted to to challenge that and challenge the fact that when you're from a particular area there's still you know there's still certain prejudices that you come up against and um and, and I thought, you know, it's really important for me to write a book where kids from Manchester and from Withenshaw can see themselves, you know, in the pages of, of that book. And I think also, like like you say, so many stories are that they're set in London, they're set down mm -hmm. south. They're not from people who are sort of minority voices. And the publishing world has has long been like sort of considered as to be one of these places where it is very London centric. Did you feel that as a writer before you were represented and before you were published that, you know, you were sort of out of the publishing world? Did you feel like it was an extra hurdle to overcome? Yeah, I did. I mean, the funny thing is when I wrote this book, I like never in a million years did I ever think it would get published. I just, you know, wrote it because I thought this is the story I want to tell. Um, and when I'd, when I'd finished it, I thought, I'm just going to approach an agent and send out the first three chapters and see what happens. And I sent the first three chapters and then um, I was really surprised that, um, you know, Maddie asked for the full, my agent asked for my full manuscript. And then when I sent her the full thing, I was convinced that she'd be like, oh no, sorry, you know, this isn't for us. And then when she said, can you come to London? I was like, what? You know, <laughs> so, and, then, and then I kind of worked on edits and then it got picked up by Simon and Schuster so I think I, I always was aware that obviously you know everything publishing based is in London but I kind of never thought that it would happen in a way yeah. I just yeah. kind of thought you know I, I I just write because I love it and I can't think of anything else I'd rather be doing but um yeah so it was quite strange <laughs> I'm not remotely surprised that <laughs> that Maddie wanted to Maddie wanted to take it all on. Um, the other thing about the fact that you chose to set it in Manchester is that you've written it also with sort of the dialect of yeah. Manchester. And as a reader, like when I read things that are set in, say, like I don't know, say it's set in Alabama or it's set in Manchester mm -hmm. or wherever, in my head I'm always doing the accent. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I don't think I can do a Manchester accent in, in real life, but in my head I can do it really well. Um, but that's not remotely, like the fact that it's set in this different dialect, it's not remotely difficult at all. It's so accessible. And you just mentioned about having like, you know, marginalised voices or voices that don't often get heard. And it was so 
refreshing to see this wonderful character who's from a place that no one's ever read an anything about mm. with his with his own dialect. I thought that was great. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was something, again, I was really kind of, um, I felt really strongly about because my, my fingers as well is I feel like when you're creating character, I want them to feel and sound as real as possible in, in the voice. You know, voice is such a huge thing for me. So I just thought, I can't have a 15 year old from Withenshaw or, for, you know, from Manchester and, you know, yeah. his brother's just died and he's kind of saying, you know, oh dear, woe is me. You know, I thought, you know, yeah. I really have to, he really has to yeah. feel authentic. Um, and I'm really kind of lucky because my editor, when it went to copy edits, my editor at the time, she kind of said to the copy editor, don't change, you know, keep as much of, of the dialect as you possibly can. Like we don't want to change that. So she kind of knew how important it was to the story. And there were a few things that my copy editor was just like, what is this word? You know, what does this mean? <laughs> um, but she, she was like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll keep it in, you know, it's fine. Um, but I felt kind of really lucky that kind of they understood that that was also important to the story and to Nate's character yeah. and yeah, well, those, those are the layers. So, so yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed reading it as well. The story is obviously about suicide, but it's also about bullying. Mm. Um, and I mean, I grew up in a time when I went to school and did stupid things and nobody was videoing it because we didn't have phones. There was no Facebook. Um, using the internet was like, I mean, we, we were using the internet. I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, like only just. But like, uh, you know, I have a 14-year-old stepdaughter and a 16-year-old stepson and I've got a three-year-old. And the idea that they're growing up in like a time when they have the pressure of social media, like it feels so different to the kind of experience that I had as mm. a teenager. Um, what's, your, what's your take on that? Like how difficult it is with the social media for kids nowadays, especially in, in like terms of bullying? Yeah, I mean, it is so hard because I think, you know, like you, when I was at school, it was, you know, the dial-up internet thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I did have a website, you know, created about me, but I feel like that was like the beginnings of social media. And the website was kind of shut down. I mean, obviously it still affected me, but you know, the, the website was, became unsearchable. But I just kind of, when I was doing a lot of research and you know, I've worked in a lot of schools, you know, I've worked with young people for a really long amount of time. And it's so interesting because when you go into schools and you kind of say to them, okay, who here has ever had anything like really awful said about them on social media or post, every single person puts their hand up. God, that's awful. I know. And and so I think it's just, it is such a strange, I mean, I'm saying this because I'm a little bit older now, but, you know, it is quite a strange era to be in. And I think, you know, in Stars, there's obviously the really horrific, intense bullying that Al goes through, but then there's the stuff that Megan goes through as well in terms of, you know, the thing with the, a photograph is taken of her without a permission and a really horrible comments written on it. And then it goes around for 24 hours and, and the attitude is, oh, well, you know, it's, it's just a photo kind of lighten up, you know, be gone in 24 hours. Yeah. So I wanted to look at those different things as well so that hopefully people can see actually if they do post something like this, it, it, it has still has such a huge impact. And I think possibly there's kind of a lot of people are desensitized oh I can't say the word <laughs> desensitized there we go um to kind of comments and you know and I think 
because there is that wall that screen rather of, of social media I think people feel like able to kind of say more things so I think it is a hard it's such a hard kind of world to, to navigate um but I did I think in writing the book I did want people to think about what it is they're posting and maybe like the effect it can have on someone and also you know if you are on the receiving end of that you know speaking out if if you are being bullied or so it's such a tricky a tricky thing but you know it is heartbreaking when everyone says you know I've I've had something awful so you know yeah. posting at me online yeah like a whole school and everyone's yeah that, that's become the norm that like, I know. expects to just see something like that exactly and even when I say okay now how have you ever posted you know a lot of the people who have had stuff said about them have also posted things as well yeah. so you know I think it's it's a vicious cycle sometimes isn't it it is and the desensitization like you say that is mm -hmm. that is without doubt the case like it, for them it's normal to have these pressures of who's liked my photo who's commented on my photo whereas for me like I grew up and like anybody had moments when you'd done something stupid or where the joke was on you kind of thing but by the Monday or the Tuesday somebody else had done something stupid and the other bit was forgotten but now yeah. it's all there like documented for everyone to keep going over and over and over so they're living under a different kind of pressure yeah definitely and I think you know that was one of the things kind of Nate says in the book as well so he kind of talks about seeing comments about people previously and kind of not really caring but then now yeah. he's lost his brother to suicide and people are kind of these trolls hijack his brother's memorial page and he's kind of like but it you know it's it's funny when it's someone else or you don't care when it's someone else but when it's you you know and I think yeah. that realization that he has as well that just the damage that you know those things can do yeah absolutely the the imagery that you use in this book is really beautiful um like obviously there's a lot of discussion about light and stars mm -hmm. um, but there's also another area where we're talking about origami um mm -hmm. that Elsa in the museum what was it that led you into those different sorts of images so um with Al I kind of knew that you know his character I thought he'd you know he's an artist so he's very much into art and kind of stars and um you know the museum and you know he knows a lot of facts about the universe and the world and one day actually when I was just really stuck I was kind of working through the draft and I had really bad writer's block and I knew that you know Nate had to go on this quest to the museum because that's the last place I'll checked in before he died um, and I thought okay he needs to kind of see something here um, and I just you know I was racking my brains I couldn't think of anything and I, I was sat at the laptop and I just thought okay I'm not gonna nothing's gonna come if I just sit here and stare at a blank screen I'm going to go to the museum and have a look around you know I've been going to that museum like since I was the Manchester Museum since I was so young and it's so weird because I've been going for years and this time that I went and I was kind of like, oh, you know, he needs to, to, to find something. I saw this um, exhibition for the origami peace crates. I don't know how long they've been there, but in all the times I've been going, I'd never, ever noticed them before. Um, and the story behind them was that a young girl, you know, there was, there was a, um, a bomb and a young girl kind of in Japan, a young girl started making the cranes as like a symbol of, of hope. Um, and I read the story and I saw the cranes and, you know, it was like a whole cabinet full of them. And I thought, oh, my God, they're so beautiful. And the story really resonated as well. And I thought I kind of wanted to use those cranes as well as kind of a symbol of 
of hope throughout the book and when Nate goes to the museum before he kind of be, while Al was alive he just doesn't pay attention to anything he says and he just thinks oh you know he's weird you know, he's always going on about stuff but when Al's dead he kind of starts to pay more attention to things and he sees these cranes and he's like oh my gosh wow you know I can see why Al really liked it here yeah. um so so yeah so th that's how kind of the cranes the origami cranes kind of came about and they they become like such a huge symbol throughout the book really don't they because even on the last page yeah. the cranes are, are kind of used um so that actually happened in a weird accidental way um or maybe you know maybe it was meant to happen you know that way I think it happens that way sometimes yeah. with writing like the idea that you don't have for the book but that you sort of stumble across mm. in the writing process or the research process is one of the things that sort of threads through the whole novel and ties it all together yeah I know now one of the things is like a debut author is like all these amazing firsts like the first time you get your agent and you get a publishing deal and you see people reviewing and what have you but you've had some pretty incredible firsts with stars and mm -hmm. that that exhibit exhibition in the museum is kind of one of those things but I mean how did that feel when you saw your book in the museum yeah so that was so what happened was um someone who so a blogger based in Manchester so she was senate proof and she actually works at um the University of Manchester so she's literally across the road from the museum and she goes into the museum every day at, at lunchtime and she'd never noticed the cranes either. So she said she, she read, when she read that bit, she thought, oh my God. And she went straight into the museum and she said, you know, it was really busy and um, the kind of museum staff were kind of looking at her a bit weird, like, are you okay? You know, she's trying to take this picture with the proof and they were kind of looking at her really strange that, you know, are you okay? What are you doing? She went, I've just read this book and the cranes are in it and then she said they went and um the staff was like oh my god that's amazing and they went and got like a like a metal stand for her to put the proof on <laughs> holding people back so she could take the, the picture and I was like oh my god but um but yeah so she took that and it was just it's such a beautiful picture of it you know outside of the museum um a Manchester museum you know shared for World Kindness Day, they kind of shared a picture of the cranes and the book as well. Um, so that was That's kind amazing. of, it, you know, yeah, it was so amazing. Um, so lovely to see. I think it's a testament to how, how many people have been touched by it, by the story. Um, and likewise, another fantastic first that you had is the fact that your book got selected for the American curriculum. Oh my gosh. I, know. I mean, talk, talk about like moments as a writer. <laughs> that was incredible. Um, you know, that was just amazing. And, and as well, again, because like, you know, it's very Northern, it's very kind of mank as well. You know, the <laughs> um, you know, I have a lot of friends in America who said, you know, they've, they've messaged me and, and they've kind of said, what does this word mean? You know, but yeah. they've kind of said to me, you know, if I try and read it in like a, a like a Northern accent, they were like, you know, it really flows better then. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was just so incredible to see that it was, that it was on the curriculum in America. Um, and I think the other amazing first that I will never get over was Mallory Blackman, you know, tweeting me and saying she was reading it and she loved it. Yeah. I mean, I think I just died. Because <laughs> 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 Mallory is actually the reason I started, you know, writing in the first. Oh, that's incredible. So when she tweeted, I was like, oh my God. Um, yeah, so that was just incredible. 
Yeah, I think those moments, like as a writer, the first time round when mm. when you're doing everything and you have these incredible experiences, like it's all the things that you sort of are working towards without even being able to specifically say that you're working towards it. And, yeah. and they just feel like such um, such landmarks in the period mm. of becoming a writer. It's so true. It is so true. And I think one of my other friends was saying actually recently, because we were talking a lot about... Um, about you know when, when you one of the most difficult things I don't know how you find it but is kind of just holding on to your self-belief as a writer and just when you kind of lack confidence and you kind of think you know you do worry about you know you do still get those doubts about is this book good enough you know will, yeah. will the story connect and she kind of said that um a piece of advice her agent gave her when she when she's having these doubts is to kind of create a scrapbook so she can look over her journey and just you know, remember those really lovely things. And I thought that oh, was, wow. because you do forget, you know, they, they, these things happen and you think, oh my gosh, it's amazing. But I can imagine like, kind of as you go further along in your career, you might forget those moments. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and and it was really interesting as well because I, uh, you know, put something up on Facebook or whatever the other day about, you know, how do you hold on to that self-belief while you're still writing? And so many writers that kind of, are like eight nine books in that have won prizes and stuff have been like you know don't don't think that we don't feel the same and you know it, it yeah. you still get that with with a lot of books so I guess it's just yeah. being able to keep going isn't it and I think so I, I, and I think also like most people who are who are working as professional writers say they've they've done all that bit where they've written the books that didn't sell or they've had the ideas that they didn't develop and the only real key to getting an agent and a publisher is just that you persevere and that you don't mm -hmm. stop. Um, it, it's nothing to do with like suddenly you're talented or suddenly mm -hmm. you've got a qualification. It's just that you just keep going. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that having that self-belief is kind of not always very tangible, but I think it, you've got to have it sort of within you to say the last 75,000 words that I've written are rubbish but I know that somewhere in there is the story <laughs> that I want to tell. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's so um, cool. And we've already talked a little bit about the fact that sort of like there are voices that aren't heard and um, whether it was difficult coming from the North and, and trying to find a publisher, but there have been some big changes this year mm. uh, in the publishing world and that HarperCollins have even opened now a publishing house in the North, like Harper North. Yeah. And, so I, and I wonder what you thought about that. I think it's great because like I said I think <coughs> you know the north often does get left out in terms of publishing Hashat have moved up as well to to the north and um yeah. they've been actually been at um Hashat have actually been looking for um children's book writers from the north too which has been great wow um so I think you know there's because I think if you are a writer from the north as well you know whether you know whatever ambitions you have to be published it it can feel intimidating that everything seems to be in london and you know yeah. maybe you're just someone with a story set in leeds or whatever and will people care about it so yeah i think the fact that the publishing industry are kind of taking you know a bit more no i think that's great and um you know i think as well that the fact that my publisher wasn't like okay you know we love your book but can you sell it in London you know I thought yeah. that was really great so um 
obviously there's still a long way to go but you know I really I'm, I'm pleased that there are those meals because there's so many great like in the independent publishers in the north as well like you have like Nightjar Press and Salt Publishing I think that's based you know based up north and right. um, you know the, there is there is so, uh, so many writers and a lot of things here so it's great that I guess the publishing industry that's normally London-centric is kind of um moving and kind of looking for more people in the north as well what what more do you think could be done to try and um, open up these opportunities to people who have previously thought that they weren't accessible I think um so a lot of you know it's I think it is very 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 tricky because I think generally with writing for one you know it's it's hard because it's very time consuming and if you don't have a lot of money or you don't come from money it's trying to find a way to be able to be able to write fit that around kind of your day job um and as well I think you know publishing often you know you know it is a very white industry um and the you know there's a recent report published about kind of children's books in particular and it was kind of talking about how you're more likely to see an animal main character in a book than you know a character of color which is just appalling I think the figures I can't remember the exact figures but the figures a few years ago I think it was one percent or two percent and it's gone up ever so slightly but you know there's still so much to do um but I think you know a lot of the time I did kind of feel like publishing wasn't for me and I, even the way I've always loved writing, I've always written and I've always loved books, I kind of felt like I could never be a writer. I think yeah. because of my background and I think it wasn't until I read a Mallory Blackman book that I thought, oh my gosh, you know, here's a, a black female author. She's writing yeah. characters that I can relate to. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, just it definitely publishing needs to be a lot more kind of um, easier to access but I think there needs to be like kind of more done in terms of mentoring schemes too um because I actually wrote stars on a mentoring scheme so I kind of wrote the book there had no idea if I could even write a novel or write for teenagers um and I was kind of mentored over the course of a year and lots of kind of established children's authors came in and kind of helped to workshop the book um, and it kind of broke down a lot of those barriers. So Lila, the woman who was running the, the development program, it was called Megaphone, she invited agents in, you know, down from London and publishers and, you know, different authors. So I think it, it broke down a lot of those barriers that otherwise I might have thought, you know, how would I go about this or I'm not sure kind of what to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there definitely kind of is such a, a kind of call for more kind of stories that reflect different experiences and it's so true because unless you see yourself represented it's very hard to visualize yourself as being represented and I mean from a different sort of perspective like I'm really keen to find adoption books that Mm -hmm. I can talk to my daughter about because I think that fiction is a really great way of sort of approaching subjects but you know a lot of a lot of adoption fiction is about you know well we here we came in and we swooped in and we saved you kind of thing whereas Mm -hmm. that isn't really the story that we want to tell her because Mm -hmm. that isn't the truth Mm -hmm. and so you do need a whole different range of fiction available to people if you want people to appreciate it Mm, and find themselves within it definitely um so for yourself as a writer Mm -hmm. obviously 
you've gone through the phase of not knowing whether being a writer was for you to having this amazing book <laughs> that's in people's hands. What's next? What is your next plan? Um, so I'm just going to make it to the end of 2024. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I am working on, on book two. The dreaded book two, as you know, because the last time I saw you, I was like, oh, book two, it's awful. And yeah, you know, it still is. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all been there. <laughs> Because second books are notoriously hard and kind of writing it in the midst of a global like pandemic and you yeah. know, 20, it's just like, oh, but um, so yeah, I'm doing the edits for that, but I am at a stage now where I think you know, I'm, I'm kind of enjoying it slightly more than I was, so that's good. Um, so yeah, that's actually going to be out in August next year, fabulous. Um, so yeah, I've been working on the edits for that. Uh, well, hopefully, you'll be releasing that one outside of a global pandemic uh, we hope so <laughs> <laughs> um it's been so hard for so many people yeah. did you release did you release during the pandemic so I think I was so lucky because what happened was stars came out on the 5th of March and I had this massive launch of Blackwells in Manchester loads of people there and then literally a week after we were in lockdown so I just managed to get the launch in which I'm so yeah. so grateful for um and then obviously everything went into lockdown and then you know it's it's really hard because <coughs> obviously I know there's there's so many people in much kind of worse situations and it's just been an you know really awful year um but I think the most difficult for me in terms of difficult thing for me in terms of launching during a pandemic is not knowing how the readership has taken the book so I had a lot of school visits planned and kind right. of college and I was kind of really excited about those visits you know and kind of just seeing yeah. how teenagers would you know relate to and connect with the book so it's been quite difficult kind of not knowing do they like it you know what's you know uh, you know what's happening um but I'm so grateful that I managed to get the launch in just before I was so lucky thank goodness I know it's been quite a year for for the book world well, for it really, oh no it's so sad isn't it it really has well I'm so grateful that we've had the chance to talk about it today. Um, I wish you all the best with getting book two ready because I'm (laughs) really looking forward to reading that one. And um, just continued success with Stars because it's such a wonderful and important book. Oh, thanks so much, Michelle. Thanks very much. Thank you.